Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. God can, does, and it is absolutely willing to use anyone. Anyone. No one is, is beyond his use, and he wants to use you. And there might be, just so happen to be like a reason that you exist on this planet today for such a time as this. Your testimony and what God has done in your life and how he saved you and he's working in and through you and all that stuff, it just highlights the fact that God wants to use people. Have you ever wondered what your purpose is? Have you ever been going through the motions of life and felt overlooked? Well, in today's message, Pastor James wants you to know that God uses anyone and everyone for mighty things. It doesn't matter who you are or what your past is. He wants to use you and has miraculous plans for your life. Let God take the reins and discover who you were truly meant to be. Follow Him and experience a higher calling in your life. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Esther chapter 1 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. One of the nobles and all the men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman, right? So this is just, uh, it's an abuse of power, is what it is, okay? Let's call it what it is. This is an abuse of power. Uh, he is the king. He has a beautiful wife. She is a beautiful wife, but she shouldn't be a trophy wife in that sense of like, you're, you know, sporting her around and like, hey, look at my wife, look at my wife. That's like, I, I don't think any husband should do that. You should be proud of how beautiful your spouse is, but you don't need to parade your spouse around and display her for all to see. I think that's actually bad husband, okay? I'm not saying like, can't post a picture of your wife on Facebook and be like, hey, this is my wife. I love my wife. That's sweet. That's beautiful. That's great. But when it comes to like this kind of, this kind of reeks of just like grossness. This isn't like, oh man, I love Vashi so much. I'm so proud of her. Hey, Vashi, come in here. I want, hey, how about you have a conversation with us guys? He's like, no, 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 none of that. That's no. Have her come in here and have her take off her veil. Have her expose her face. Because in the Persian culture, the women should be veiled. They hide their beauty. They hide their beauty. Very beautiful people. Very beautiful people. Culturally, she's supposed to have that veil on. He's like, no, no, come in here and unveil yourself. And for them... I mean, my goodness, that's like to the level of posting inappropriate pictures of your spouse. Like, it's that degree for them. And she's like, I don't think so. (laughs) I like this lady. I don't know who she, I I don't know anything about her other than, you know, she's the great or the granddaughter or great-granddaughter of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. But he's like, go get my wife, bring her in here, tell her to put that crown on uh, because I'm going to show her off to all these people. Verse 12, but when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. This made the king furious and he burned with anger. Why? Because his pride was hurt. Because his pride was hurt. Because he's got all these bigwigs in his presence. And they hear him issue this order to these eunuchs to go get his wife. 
And then they come back and they're like, um, she said no. <laughs> and he's like, what? You don't tell the king no. You don't tell the king. And you don't tell the king no when he's entertaining these bigwigs. And he's got this great big sales pitch to them. And they're like, and so the people in the audience are going to be, they're probably thinking through their heads like, this guy can't rule his home. Why should we trust him to rule a nation? He can't control his wife. And unfortunately, in some cultures around this time, women were seen as lesser value than men. And that's an unfortunate thing. And I hope you know what we love about the Bible is the Bible is very clear on your worth and your value. Men and women have value in Jesus Christ. Men and women have the same value in Jesus Christ, actually, because it was both man and woman that was created in his image, going back to the beginning. In Christianity, all those barriers and walls and division and stuff, torn down by the gospel, whether it's gender issues between is a man more important or more valuable than a woman, or is this this ethnicity more important than this other ethnicity? The gospel, and really Jesus coming and dying on the cross and raising from the grave, he obliterated those walls. And he says, Christianity equals this. You're a new creation. No longer Jew. No longer Gentile. No longer male. No longer female. Right? And he's not erasing your identity or your DNA. He's just saying, like, we're a family in Christ. We're all on the same level, same ground, same level. But that's not how it always has been for cultures. That's not even how it is in, in a lot of places today. But just so you know, the Bible does speak to those things. And it's very clear on those things. Men matter. Women matter. And even when our culture reverses, because we swing from one, pin, one side to the other, right? Where we go from like where women didn't seem to matter all that much. And now we come over to this other side where our culture lives today. And we're like, do men even exist? I watch a lot of commercials and I'm like, where are the guys at? Why are there no men? You watch sitcoms and I'm like, why do they have all these idiots portraying guys? They're morons. And they're mostly cowards. And they're like, well, where's the balance? The world you live in, this system you live in, does not want you to have balance. They always want division. Division, division, division between genders, division between races, division between, you know, rich and the poor. Division, division, division. That's what your world is selling you. But the Bible's like, there is no division. There's no division. So back to the party. King's pride has been hurt. Verse 13, he immediately consulted with his wise advisors who knew all the Persian laws and customs for he had always asked their advice. The names of these men were uh, Karshina, uh, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, that's like that city, uh, Maris, or Maris, and Marcina and Memucan. These are the trusted advisors, seven nobles of Persia and Media, and they met with the king regularly and held the highest position of his empire. Verse 15, what must be done to Queen Vashti, the king demanded. What penalty does the law provide for a queen who refuses to obey the king's orders, properly, properly sent through his eunuchs? Now remember, he is still intoxicated, and they are probably all intoxicated, 
And so nobody's thinking clearly in this thing. So this is where on that slide we show that this guy's a very rash guy. He also doesn't know how to stand on his own two feet. You're the king. How do you not know how to make decisions? How do you not know what the laws are? You're the leader. You're the ruler. That's like step one, if you're going to be a ruler, is learn the laws, learn the rules. Oh, man, I wish some of our leaders would read, a, would read the Constitution every so often, maybe even the Bill of Rights. I'm like, isn't that step one to get elected? Like, you got to know what these things say? I guess not. Oh, well, you know, it's the same back then. He has no clue what's going on. So he consults in these guys. Of course, the one that I can't pronounce is the one who answers. Uh, me, Mukin, I, we'll just, yeah, we'll go with that. Answer the king and his nobles. And this guy apparently is having drama at home, okay? He's had drama at his house, okay? Because here's his solution. Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also every noble and citizen throughout your empire, Women everywhere will begin to despise their husbands. Hmm, what's going on at your home, buddy? Like, uh, are you trying to, like, work some sort of rule out so you can get one over on your wife? Because it seems like you got issues at home. Um, so that's his suggestion. He says, everywhere will begin to despise their husbands when they learn, right? They look to the queen as their example, that Queen Vashti has refused to appear before the king. Before this day is out, the wives of all the king's nobles throughout Persia and Media will hear what the queen did and will start treating their husbands in the same way. There will be no end to their contempt and anger, right? He's a very dramatic, okay, number one. You're like, calm down, buddy, all right? We don't know. Let's just calm down. It's just Queen Vashti. His wife was probably at the party with Vashti, and she saw her, and she's like, oh, no, <laughs> right? Like, I've already, it's already hard enough. Right? So now she's really going to disrespect me. So he's the one who comes up with this brilliant plan. All women, you either submit or you're out. That's it. And once you make it a law in the Persian Empire, you can't take it back. We saw that in the book of Daniel. So there's no going back. Once it's signed by the king and, and it placed, the seal is placed on that, like, there's no revoking that law. Like, it has to be upheld, so to speak, which plays out at the end of Esther when you're like, well, why didn't they just stop the law to kill the Jews? Why did he make a law that like Jews could fight back? Because they can't change the law. So what you, what you can do is create a new law to counter that old law. So he goes on verse 19. So if it pleases the king, we suggest that you issue a written decree, the Persians and the Medes, that cannot be revoked it should order that Queen Vashti be forever banished from the presence of the king or from the presence of King Xerxes and that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she, right? Because she's dangerous, right? She's causing problems. More, uh, a quieter wife, right? A little bit more submissive. Okay, Xerxes, you need to pick better, right? Is what they're saying. When this decree is published throughout the king's vast empire, husbands everywhere, Whatever their rank will receive proper respect from their wives. Here's what we know, okay? You can't legislate morality, right? Because we try that, and we're like, don't do these things. And what happens? Well, sinful nature is like, I think I'm just going to do those things, right? Like, that's what happens. We see that in our, in our country today. Like, hey, 
just slap those criminals on the wrist. And they're like, oh, that didn't hurt at all. So I think I'll just do more, right? And they're like, what's going wrong with our country? Well, yeah, it's, this is a slippery slope. Here there's, a, there's like, look, we need respect from our women. So let's make it a law that women have to, I don't care if it's a law or not. It doesn't mean she's going to respect you. You can't legislate that. How about you just be a good husband? I don't know, maybe start there. Maybe start there. Whoever your counselor guy is, like you're having issues at home, maybe you should just be a better husband. I don't know. Like maybe talk to your wife. There's a reason why she doesn't like you, okay? She doesn't respect you. It's never that simple, though. It's never that simple. And I, these guys want to make sure that like they have it locked down, that we're the men, we're, we're more valuable than they are, and they need to know that. They just need to know that. What Queen Vashti did was a threat to them. It was a threat to them. And I look at what she did, and I say, bravo. Bravo for standing up for yourself. Bravo for standing up for what's right. Well, it cost her every. It literally cost her everything. And I say, good job. I, I feel sorry. That, I mean, she's banished from his presence. It doesn't mean she's banished from the capital or anything like that. She's probably relegated to the harem. Okay, where all the other ladies are, who her husband gets to enjoy whenever he wants. And you're his wife, but you're not his one and only, right? You just might happen to be the prettiest of them all. That's kind of how it worked back then. So she gets relegated to this, you know, somewhere else, but she can't be queen anymore. Pick another queen is what they say. And it says, um... We're going to get the respect we finally deserve. Verse 21, the king and his nobles thought this made good sense. How? You can't think. You're inebriated. You can't. They're like, yeah, that's a great idea. Have you ever had those kind of moments in, when hanging out with your buddies? Yeah, you have, okay? Because I've had plenty of them where we're like, that sounds like a great idea. And then you go through it and it's like, that's the worst idea ever. How do we, how do we end up arrested? Oh, it, was that, it started with that, this is a good idea. No, it's not. These are all guys getting together and trying to figure out what's the best way, best solution. And it's totally opposite of what the proverb says. Proverbs says there's wisdom in the counsel of many. Okay, but that's only true if they're in the right mind. But if they're in the same mindset you are and they're full of wine for seven days, there's no wisdom there. None. None at all. But this is the direction the story goes. In one sense, you, you have this taking place. It's like God's allowing this to take place. God is not mentioned in Esther at all. At all. Unless you go into like the Hebrew and there's some acrostics type stuff where it's like the Lord is in a couple of verses. If you combine these words and uh, Jehovah is or Yahweh is written out in this. Um, but that's like hidden stuff. And most of us, we're not reading Hebrew, right? We're just not. So, but the name of God is not mentioned at all. And the only religious practice that's mentioned in this book at all is fasting, which is fasting. But it's like, man, I mean, but why? God's not here. And well, this is in Persia. They don't worship God, not the God of the Bible. They're not a godless nation. They're, they have gods, lowercase g, that they worship, but they don't worship the one true God. So for him to be included within this book actually kind of makes sense when you think about it, because it was written over there. You know, you're also talking about Jews who were, well, in rebellion. 
You're supposed to go back. Go back. Go home. No, we don't want to go home. And the story unfolds. They think this is a great idea. Verse 22, he sends letters to all parts of the empire, to each province, in its own script and language, proclaiming, because remember, it's 127 provinces, and there's different dialects that are going to be spoken. And so he writes it to, in their own language, proclaiming that every man should be the ruler of his home and should say whatever he pleases. That's a weird add-on. Now, the Bible does talk about the man should be the leader of the home, right? That's true. Yes, absolutely. Husbands should lead their families in a Christ-like manner. It doesn't mean that they should be able to say whatever they want to say, okay? That little add-on there, he's like, we should be the ruler of our house. He has no biblical concept, no biblical worldview at all. He's a lost Gentile king, But he's like, and we should just be able to say whatever we want to say. Period. The end, right? And and this is what spurs on this whole book. I mean, that's the backstory, right? When you go to a movie, you don't like just jumping into chapter two of the movie because you're like, well, what happened first? Like, how did we get here? This is how we get to Esther. Because Esther, what we'll discover is she's an orphan. I don't know what happened to her mom and dad. Well, well, we know they died somehow. And she's raised by her uncle, Mordecai. She's a Jewish girl growing up in Persia. She's an orphan. There are a lot of parallels, not just between Esther and Moses, but also Esther and Jesus. And actually, Esther is, is really kind of a type of Jesus in this story, which is just amazing. It's beautiful. We'll see how that develops as we go through. But for sure, you can definitely see the, the connections between Esther and Moses, right? He comes on the scene. He's like raised in Pharaoh's house and all this good stuff. And the Lord's going to had him set up for just as time as that to lead the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land. Esther just happens to be alive and the most beautiful girl in all of Persia. And the Lord's going to use her to rescue his people. And the the main thing that I think we'll see as we go through the rest of this book is there are times where it feels like God is not there, okay? If we're honest, if you're an honest Christian, you go through seasons where it feels like he's not here. He's not listening to me. He's not answering my prayers, i.e., I just, I'm I'm lower on the, the rung concerning, and he's answering their prayer, and he answered their prayer, and he's showing up over there and there, but what about me? Where are you at? It seems like he's distant. It seems like he's not there. The book of Esther will tell us that his name may not be mentioned, but he's all over this book. He's all over. He's in the background. He's in the background. And this book displays his sovereignty and how like, just in control God is of all our situations. And even when it's difficult and it's hard to believe that and to trust in that, I mean, he just uses his beautiful girl and her crazy uncle and uh, to display like, I'm still here and I can use the least expected to rescue my nation. Because one thing we know is God is absolutely faithful to his promise. He's absolutely faithful to his word. And even when he's quote unquote, nowhere to be found, he's still moving and he's still working behind the scenes. Behind the scenes. So 
setting that up. We're going to go through a, a, a lot of practical application kind of points throughout this. Like I just said there, uh, the other application points we'll be seeing throughout this book is that God can use wicked plots against those who make them, right? So he's devising evil schemes. Guess what? God knows how to make that thing blow up in their face. He's done it in the past. He'll continue to do it. He is in control. We should be willing to be used by God regardless of the cost. Regardless. Because Esther will have to make a stand for herself as well to approach the king. Which you approach the king without being invited, that means that you die. That means that you die. And then she makes this beautiful proclamation. Basically like, well... If I die, I die. Somebody's got to go before the king. <laughs> Somebody's got to make a stand. Somebody has to do something. Well, the other thing is this. God can turn kingdoms around. That was another application point that I've just jotted down. God can turn kingdoms and, kingdoms and nations around. He knows how to do that. So no kingdom, no nation is too far gone. He knows how to do that. And then that last little point there, God can, does, and it is absolutely willing to use anyone anyone. No one is, is beyond his use, and he wants to use you. And there might be, just so happen to be like a reason that you exist on this planet today for such a time as this, your testimony and what God has done in your life and how he saved you and he's working in and through you and all that stuff. It just highlights the fact that God wants to use people. All he's doing is looking for willing vessels to be like, I don't know how you want to use me, but I'll make myself available to you. That's really the heart of Esther. And she didn't do it perfectly. And that's what I love about this book as well. And that's what we'll see. We have a really good friend with Esther because she knows, she knows where you're at. She knows what you're going through. She's been there herself where she could say, like, I knew what I, was, what I was supposed to do, but it was really hard to make that decision. It was really difficult to make that decision. She wrestled with that. You and I wrestle with that. You know who else wrestled with that? His name is Jesus. Garden of Gethsemane, praying as he's going to, about to be arrested and go to the cross. He is sweating great drops of blood. His capillaries underneath his skin are bursting because of the stress he is under. He is bleeding. He is sweating great drops of blood. What is he praying? Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, but what does he ultimately say? Not my will, but your will be done. I'm going to go to the cross. Jesus was always going to go to the cross. But I love that, that display of like, look, if there's another way, then so be it. But he, he knew, you know, I know, there was no other way. And Esther, faced with her own dilemma, it's like, Esther, you have to stand up. You have to do this. She had to make a tough decision. And she made a tough decision. And the Lord totally honored that. And because of her faith and her um, bravery, the nation of Israel, those who remained in Persia, because it's not totally, there's still a small remnant in Jerusalem, but those who remained behind were rescued, were saved because of her act. And God used her. So it's true for us as well today. Look, if you've never read through the book of Esther, it's, it's a really quick read. It's a very fast read. 
I highly encourage you to read ahead, read the whole thing. And then if you got time, reread it. Jump into the book of Ezra. That's another quick read, but it's going to help you to get a good bird's eye view of all that's going on. We've all heard the famous words that Mordecai spoke to Esther when he was encouraging her to talk to the king. Who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It's a great rallying cry. And all of us long for those moments in time when we're right where we need to be to change the world. But don't forget, Esther was in the kingdom for many years before that time. God placed her there ahead of time, and she was right where she needed to be in that exact moment. When you look at your life and wonder if you're in the right place, remember that God placed Esther ahead of time. She didn't know for years why she was there. God has placed you in the exact place that He needs you to be for a future purpose that you can't even imagine yet. Don't let the day-to-day get you down. He's always working. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James is going through the book of Esther in this series, and you won't want to miss a message. Mordecai was there to encourage and empower Esther, and we're here to do the same for you in your walk with Christ. You can find today's message and many others on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that website is breadforthebroken.com. While you're there, check out how you can donate to Bread for the Broken and join us in spreading the good news. Our desire is that our listeners would find hope and new life in Jesus. We hope that that's what you found today and that we'll get to see you again next time here on Bread for the Broken.